Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Well, I'm Dave Martinke, and this morning I'm going to share about hearing the whispers of God. Hearing the whispers of God. You know, uh, the last four weeks, God has been sharing about deconstruction. And in just about every message that Scott shared, he spoke about the importance of listening, the importance of listening to others, that we might better understand their position. Well, today, I'm going to focus in on listening to God, listening to God and hearing his whispers. And it reminded me of a story that um, I experienced. I train residents, family practice residents at Sisters Hospital. And about 20 years ago, uh, we, we would do what are called breakout sessions, where the residents would gather together and I would join them, and I would either teach them uh, topics or they would teach one another. And on this specific Thursday afternoon, about 20 years ago, I was a little late, and the residents already began their topic. And so the residents were talking about Bed sheets, hospital bed sheets, and I, I was I, I, as the conversation went on, um, I was thinking bed sheets really, and we're going to have a picture of that up on the uh, uh, on the slide if you would. Thank you. Uh, yeah, bed sheets, and to those uh, nurses in the audience like Michelle, you're well aware of, of of bed sheets. Well, they were talking about the importance of bed sheets, how critical it is that the bed sheets be properly cared for, how lives could be saved with appropriate attention to bed sheets. Now, I, for one, don't like to get into a dirty bed sheet, like I get it. But it got to the point where after about five or 10 minutes, I said, guys, guys, whoa, whoa, bed sheets, really? The importance of bed sheets, the critical nature of bed sheets? What are you talking about? Well, it started with a little chuckle and then it grew to a large laugh, and then hysteria. And at the end of their laughing, someone finally gained their composure, and they said, Dr. Martinke, we are not talking about bed sheets. We are talking about med sheets, medication sheets, that nurses meticulously supervise to make sure that patients get the proper medication. Well, it was that time that I learned two things. Number one, the importance of accurately listening. And number two, I am losing my hearing. <laughs> it started with my grandmother, passed on to my father, and ended up with me. With that being said, I think it's so critical for us to and kind of preface what we say today as somewhat of an admonition, if you will. You know, we need to be very careful with who we listen to. There are many voices in our society, many people who are saying things, whether it's political pundits or others or friends or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, a lot of things are being thrown at us. And yet we need to be critical and be careful. Who do you listen to? Well, if you listen to your friends, your friends will tell you what you want to hear. If you listen to yourself, yourself will tell you what you think or what you feel you want to hear, because we're driven by our thoughts and our emotions. And sometimes a negative thought will come into our mind and it'll keep replaying. Have you ever had that occur? You're no good. You're ugly. You're stupid. You don't fit in. 
that thought keeps going over and over and over. And what that becomes, that can be the enemy that tells you what you don't want to hear, that recurring thought. And yet, it is only God who will tell us what we need to hear. So this morning, let's tune our ears to what God would say. And the scripture for this morning is 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want to grab your device and go there to 1 Kings 19, what I'm going to be sharing from is a story from, uh, which is, it relates to the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. If you remember, I spoke of Elijah previously, where Elijah lived in about 900 years before Christ. Elijah was sent to the northern kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom of Israel. There was a southern kingdom of Israel. If you remember, the northern kingdom had the king Ahab and Jezebel, the most wicked king and queen of Israel. The Israelites had turned to the Baal worship, which is the worship of a, infertility, a fertility god. And they were worshiping that god instead of Jehovah. And so Elijah was sent to the northern kingdom to turn people back to God. That was his ministry. Well, let me set up the, before we read the scriptures, let me set up the context of what had taken place at this time. Elijah sent to the northern kingdom. He sees that all the Israelites are worshiping the Baal, Baal uh, fertility god. And so he has this idea. He says, we're going to have a competition between the prophets of Baal and between Elijah. We're going to meet on Mount Carmel, and we're each going to prepare a sacrifice, a bull upon the altar. The prophets of Baal provide uh, do one sacrifice on an altar, Elijah another. And then we're going to call to the God. And the, and the prophets of Baal are going to call to Baal. And I'm going to call to Jehovah God. And whichever God sends fire to the altar will be the true God. Everybody says, what you say sounds good. So they have the competition. The prophets of Baal start crying out to Baal. Send fire, send fire, send fire. The day goes on, the day goes on, the day goes on, no fire. Towards the end of the day, Elijah simply calls out to God. God sends fire miraculously down, consumes the sacrifice, consumes actually the altar. People start yelling, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. There's revival throughout the land, and people start turning back towards God. Well, it's not so happy an ending, because you see, Queen Jezebel ain't too happy, because Baal's her God. So she sends a message to Elijah, it says, mark my words, Elijah, you're going to be dead in 24 hours. Well, even though there's this great miracle, he gets concerned. So what does he do? He heads to the desert to run away from Jezebel. And as he's preparing to enter the de desert, he falls asleep. An angel of God wakes him up, feeds him some food and some drink. He falls back asleep. The angel of God wakes him up a second time, gives him food and drink, and then he enters into the wilderness. So that's the con context or the backdrop of the story. Now let's pick up the story at 2 Kings 19, starting at verse 8. So he meaning Elijah, got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he had reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into the cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altar, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand by the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind 
tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then the voice came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous to the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said to him, Go back the way that you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, king over, of Nim, son of uh, Nimshi, over, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abil-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Hearing the whispers of God. How do we hear God's voice? How do we hear what he says? Well, I'm going to give you four things that you can do in your life to help you better tune your ears to the voice of God. So let's jump in. Point number one, remove the distractions from your life. So how do you best hear the whispers of God in your life? Number one, remove the distractions from your life. Verse 8 tells us he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of think if I was wandering in a desert for 40 days, I'd kind of say the distractions of life are probably removed. It's interesting, actually, when you study this, is that Elijah was going from Beersheba to Mount Horeb. It was a distance of 200 miles. Normally, at that time, it would take you 14 days to travel 200 miles on foot. Elijah did it in 40 days. Why did it take him 40 days to travel a 14-day path? And the reason is because God was removing the distractions from his life, teaching him, training him along that path. He was walking through the wilderness. Kind of reminds you of the Israelites who spent 40 years in the wilderness, fed by the manna of God. Here, Elijah spent 40 days in the wilderness fed by the angel of God. When we think about a wilderness, it's so important for us to realize that it's very common to us all. The, the last time I spoke, I gave a little message about um, when the brook dries up. Similar concept. What do you do when you're spiritually dry or you're passing through a wilderness? What does it mean when you don't have friends? You're lonely. God seems absent. His voice is silent. You enter this wilderness, period. I'm going to share with you a thought with if you listen to nothing else that I say this morning. If nothing else sticks with you now, now would be a good time to wake up and listen. Most important thing I'm going to say this morning is this. To those of you in a wilderness, remember, we are often prepared in the wilderness to meet God on the mountaintop. We are often prepared in the wilderness to be God on the mountaintop. 
See, it's the wilderness which removes the distractions of our life. It's the wilderness which causes us to need to press into God because we have nowhere else to go. We are often prepared in the wilderness to meet God in the mountaintop. Are you going through a wilderness? Be ready to meet from God. Often it's the distractions of life. Often it's the hurriedness of life. Often it's the rushing of life and the voices all vying for our attention, which distract us from hearing from God. But when the pressures of life and of society, of relationships and of difficulties and of work and of all the other responsibilities they have press in upon us, tremendously so, then is when it's most critical for us to pause and to listen to the voice of God. Those same voices that want to distract us from God, we need to set aside that we may focus on God. Now, I'm going to confess to you this morning, I, for one, am quite easily distracted. I admit it. I'm very easily distracted. It's very hard for me to do two things at once. And, any, and if there's any ladies in the audience who are newly married, your husband might be the same way. Personally, I think there's a biological reason. I think that something happened in the development in utero of a male when they're in the mother's womb and something happens, there's a hormone that severs the corpus callosum between the right and left side of the brain, making it very difficult for men to do multitasking things and to not be distracted. Guys, I'm just trying to help you out. <laughs> but in reality, we laugh, but we're all distracted. All distracted by many things that are good, but they distract us. On Monday evenings when I teach residents in the office, usually between 6 p.m. and 9.30 p.m., there's four residents who are assigned to me every Monday night. That's where you would find me, in the office, teaching residents. And they're seeing patients under my supervision, and, they, they, and, and during that time, I might be on my computer, and maybe I'm uh, answering uh, a message that was sent me by, by one of my nurses, like Michelle, who, who sends me a message. And, and I'm paying attention to what the nurse is saying, or I'm paying attention to what uh, is occurring, maybe an interaction with a patient, maybe a lab value, maybe a, a document that I need to review. And the resident will come in, they'll start talking in my ear, telling me about a patient that they're seeing. And after I'm done, I look at the resident and I say, what did you say? And it became such a joke amongst the residents when it comes to Dr. Martinke's distraction that they actually gave me a coffee mug, I'm sorry to say. And this coffee mug says, if I'm not looking at you, I'm not listening to you. <laughs> if I'm not looking at you, I'm not listening to you. You see, I'm easily distracted. That's why it's so important for us to remove those distractions that we can focus on God. And so remove, if you want to hear from the Lord, remove the distractions from your life. Easy said, hard to do. But secondly, be prepared to listen and not speak. Be prepared to listen and not speak. Verse 9 says to us, And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? It's so critical if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, it almost sounds trite. But if it's so critical that if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, you have to listen. Now, how often are you in a conversation like me where you're talking to somebody else and they talk and you talk and they talk and you talk and you're carrying on a conversation and before they finish speaking, you're actually formulating the next sentence. 
And you can't wait till they shut up because you want to jump in with your sentence. I don't think that's defined as listening, actively listening. What that is, is preparing to talk. And it's so critical as we want to hear God's voice, we need to prepare to listen. Let me give you another example. In medical school, one of the very first things we learn in medical school is to do something called an H&P, an H&P. Now, for those of you not in the medical field, H stands for history, P stands for physical exam, history and physical exam. If any of you have gone to the doctor in your lifetime, you probably experienced some sort of a history and physical exam. That's where the doctor asks you questions that you answer, and then the doctor examines, pokes on the belly, listens to heart and lungs, looks in the ears, eyes, nose, and throat, makes a diagnosis, and then establishes a treatment plan for your care. History and physical. First thing you learn in medical school. What they also teach you in medical school is that if you're going to do a good history and physical, the way you make a diagnosis from a history and physical, 80% of making the accurate diagnosis is dependent upon taking an accurate history, listening to the patient. The physical examination, the, the, the data that you review, such as x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs, blood work, everything else that the doctor orders, that only accounts for about 20% of making an accurate diagnosis. See, the doctor makes the diagnosis by listening, and he supports his diagnosis by his physical exam, x-ray, CAT scan, MRI, etc. What's my point? Listening is critical. I don't want to geek anybody out, but there, I found another article really interesting in the Journal of uh, General Internal Medicine. And it was an article that was published a little while ago, and it said this. Doctors who are trained in listening and taking an accurate history, the average doctor waits 11 seconds before they interrupt a patient. That's not listening. We who are trained to listen actually interrupt in 11 seconds. What's my point? Listening is key. If you want to hear, you have to listen. And in listening to God, what I found out is that often when God speaks, he often asks questions. When God speaks, he often asks questions. For example, what are you doing here, Elijah? That was his question to Elijah. Now, let me ask you a question. Think with me for a second and ponder. Why does God ask questions? Oh, I know, I know, so we can learn the answer. Oh, God didn't know that Elijah was on the mountain with the prophets of Baal when the fire came down and consumed the sacrifice. God didn't know that Jezebel was hunting down Elijah. God didn't know that Elijah traveled 40 days in the desert. God didn't know that Elijah was in the mouth of the cave. God didn't know what was in Elijah's heart. Not the case. See, when God asks questions, he doesn't ask them to determine an answer because he doesn't know. When God asks a question, it's for us to answer. And it by our answer, it reveals to us what is in our heart, things that we never knew existed. And so the purpose of God asking questions is that it might be revealing to us what is in our heart. Let me give you an example from Luke 24. Just let me set this up for you. So this is the story where Jesus had just been crucified. Three days later, he rose from the dead. 
Now, there were two disciples who were with Jesus and saw him get crucified, but the problem is they left Jerusalem before they heard about the resurrection. So in their mind, Jesus was dead and crucified and done. And these two disciples leave Jerusalem and they're traveling to a little town called Emmaus. Well, Jesus is resurrected and he comes to these disciples on the road. Now, for whatever reason, the disciples didn't recognize it at Jesus. So was it because it was, he was in his resurrected body or they were kept from recognizing him? We don't know the details, but we're told that they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. Let's pick up the storyline at that time. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? I find it intriguing. What does he do? He asks a question. He comes along these disciples and he asks the question, what are you talking about? Their response, they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? I mean, just pictures, Cleopas, the disciples, don't you know what's going on? Don't you know what happened? And the irony of this story is that Jesus, son of God, son of man, crucified on the cross, dead and buried, resurrected for our sins, bringing life to death, light to darkness, hope for eternity, is really the only one who truly knew and understood what took place over the last three days. But Jesus starts with a question. And so remember, when God speaks, he often asks questions. And so, remove the distractions from your life. Remove the distractions from your life. Be prepared to listen and not speak. And thirdly, God often speaks in a whisper and not a shout. God often speaks in a whisper and not a shout. Verses 11 and 12 said, And the Lord said, Go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. Well, it's obvious. God is not in the wind. God is not in the earthquake. God is not in the fire. But he's in the whisper. God is in the whisper. Life's commotions become so loud. So loud. We hear voices from every political opinion, and we hear voices from every social dimension within our media. Pressing in wanting your attention and my attention. And yet God speaks in the whisper. I'd like to give you a trick about public speaking, okay? I'm going to give you a little trick about public speaking. You're trained in public speaking that when you want to emphasize a point, you whisper. You lower the decibels of your voice. See, what that does is it draws your audience in. It draws your audience in. See, a good speaker 
when a good speaker wants to make a point, and a good speaker wants to say something, he's going to speak louder and with more energy and with more excitement to try and grab you with the energy and the voice and the decibels. But a great speaker will lower their decibels and whisper to draw you in. When I want to be close to my bride, I sit down next to her and I whisper in her ear, Daryl Ann, I love you. You're the most important person to me. My life would not exist if it were apart from yours. These have been the four best 40 years of our life. See, when I want to be intimate with my wife, I whisper to her. And that's the way God is with us. Oh, he could shout, but he often chooses to whisper. Why? For closeness, to draw us in, to keep us close to him. Listen for the whisper, not the shout. Be prepared to listen and not speak and remove the distractions from your life. Well, let me move on to my fourth point. God speaks what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. God speaks what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. Let me show you. Elijah's response to the whisper in verse 14. I've been very zealous to the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. I find this statement almost comical. Because in reality, it's not true. I told you the context. Elijah was on Mount Carmel. There was a tremendous victory. It wasn't the Israelite prophets that were killed. It was the prophets of Baal that were killed. There was a miracle. There was revival. People are running around saying the Lord is God. It was a tremendous different, the, the reality was so different than his perception and what he tells God. But you see, because of the fear that Jezebel imposed upon his mind, Elijah is totally consumed with his, with his concerns and his worries. Elijah is really focused on his concerns and his worries. And let's not get hard on with Elijah. We're the same way. I am. How often do I just think about something that might happen bad? Or I just worry or feel concerned about issues that maybe even aren't under my control. But they play upon the mind. Elijah's focused on his concerns and his worries. And so what's God's response? What does God say? In verses 15 and 16, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram, also anoints Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abiel Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. What is so interesting to this is that God doesn't even say, Elijah, you're all messed up. The truth isn't what you're saying. Elijah doesn't even, or excuse me, God doesn't even focus on Elijah's concerns or on Elijah's worries. God simply tells Elijah, this is what you got to do, man. 
Get to work. Get to work. That's his response. God is concerned about sharing with you and meeting your needs, not your wants. They could be different. God is sovereign. He speaks, we listen. He speaks, we obey. With that thought of God meeting our needs and not our wants when we speak, and actually as I think of the message and the different points, it reminded me of a little story that took place in my life. Now, it's a personal story, and so as I, I, I share it, I almost feel I need to ask you, is it okay if I share with you a, a, a personal story? Is, is, is it okay? Would you be willing to allow me to do that, to take a little time? Okay, thank you. I was a freshman in college. I was at Roberts Wesleyan College. At the end of my freshman year, I joined a Bible study. The Bible study took place in the men's dormitory. I went to the Bible study. At the Bible study, I met a guy named Bruce. We kind of struck up a friendship. And as I think about it, it's kind of odd because Bruce and I really weren't similar. I was a biology major. Bruce was a religion and philosophy major. I was kind of a sports guy. Bruce was into singing in the chorus in the corral. I was kind of this wild and crazy guy. And Bruce was subdued and quiet and reserved. And yet we developed this friendship through this Bible study. Well, the year ended and I went home to, uh, be, uh, to, for summer break. I took on a job and started working and really wasn't thinking about school. And then about two weeks, two weeks into uh, summer vacation, as I was working, this thought came to my mind. Why don't you write a letter to Bruce? Why don't you write a letter to Bruce? There's a question. I, okay, I put it aside. What about my work? Next day, why don't you write a letter to Bruce? Now, mind you, it wasn't an audible voice. I, I, I couldn't hear it. It was almost a thought in my mind that came. Now, I wish I could tell you that the first time I heard that voice, I did what it asked me to do. I, I, I didn't. Days upon days upon weeks upon weeks, hearing it over and over, why don't you write Bruce a letter? Okay. Finally sat down. And I grabbed a piece of paper and a pen. We didn't have cell phones and text messaging. Grab a piece of paper and a pen. Dear Bruce, it's Dave. How you doing? I I've been thinking of you lately. It it actually, I've been praying for you lately. I think God wants you to know that he loves you. You're not alone. God's with you. I'm going to keep praying for you. Your friend, Dave. Simple. Few liners. Tucked it in an envelope, slapped on a stamp, put it in the mailbox. You know what happened? You know what happened? The voice stopped. 
I no longer heard the little voice asking me to write Bruce. It ended. The voice went away. Well, my thoughts went to my work, summer vacation, and moved on. Weeks later, I went back to school. Third day, I was left back on campus in September, crossing across the campus, and all of a sudden, I hear this voice, Dave, Dave. I look, there's Bruce. He's running over to me. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? Dave, Dave, I just want you to know, I got your letter. Oh, oh, that's right, the letter, yeah. Okay, great, great. No, 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 Dave, no, Dave. I got your letter. Ooh. You got my letter, Bruce? No, no. Yeah, Dave. Dave, do you remember how I shared with you at our little prayer meeting about the love that I have for my father? My father's my best friend. I love my dad. We're tight. My dad suddenly died this summer. Dave, I, I, these crocodile tears start coming down his eyes. Dave, I lost without my dad. Lost. I was lonely. Depressed. Alone. No one. And then I had to go to his funeral, Dave. It was the worst day of my life. Yeah, I know he's in heaven. Yeah, I know I'm going to see him one day. But I was, it was dark. Lonely. Depressed. Without hope. And then Dave, the funeral ended, and I came home. And when I came home from the funeral, Dave, I went to the mailbox. And, and, and I opened the mailbox on the day that I came home from the funeral, and your letter was there. And I read your letter, Dave, and it reminded me that God loves me. It reminded me that I'm not alone. It reminded me that I can trust in God. It reminded me that I can get through this wilderness. Brothers and sisters at New Story, it changed my concept of hearing the voice of God. You see, so often when we think of hearing the voice of God, we do it with the purpose of wanting to hear God's voice for our life. God, what are you saying to me? What do I need to do? What do I need to change? What do I need? How do I need to act in the present circumstances? We listen to God's voice for us. And I learned at that moment that yes, we are blessed when we hear the voice of God. But the greater blessing in hearing the voice of God is in how we can be used to touch someone else with the voice that he speaks. Listen to the voice of God. Remove the distractions from your life. Prepare yourself to listen and not speak. Listen for the whisper and not the shout. Realize that God will speak what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. And then think about when he speaks, how you might impact others by what he says. And so in closing, remember, there's a lot of voices that we can listen to in our society. We can listen to our friends who tell us what we want to hear. We can listen to ourself. 
which tells us what we think or we feel we want to hear. We can choose to listen to the enemy that tells us what you don't want to hear. Those negative thoughts over and over and over, beating you up, knocking you down. Or you can choose to listen to God, who is the only one who will tell you what you truly need.